0: Sometimes you should just let the landscape guide you. I'm Brad Rose. Welcome to the latest edition of the Seltzer Salon. I'm really excited that my guest today is Matthew Halsall, whose new album, An Ever Changing View, just came out last week on Friday, on the 8th. And it is, it is a really beautiful record. I, it kind of, it caught me a little off guard because, you know, I think when I think of Matthew, I think of his trumpet playing and is you know, the first thing that comes to mind, he's, I mean, he's a fantastic composer and a lot of things, but the, the thing that really stands out or that I keep that my brain keeps going back to when I, when I listen to never changing view or like after I've listened to it, I'm thinking about It's just the beautiful percussion on it because there's, there's so many different kinds of percussive elements and instruments. And it's, it gives it this really unique sound palette and it, it, it just becomes this really rich and inviting world. And so he talks a lot. We we'll get into this on in the interview. Like you know, he was inspired by where he was writing at these different landscapes and these houses he was staying in, and and just the stories about some of the the instrument builders that he worked with or the the musicians he worked with, and and then just because this whole the album and the whole thing is this really cohesive all-around project. The The cover is this beautiful custom-made tapestry and the fonts and everything on the record sleeve that go with it were custom-made and it, and it all just kind of feeds off of each other to create this really full and inviting immersive world. And so I was really excited to talk to him um, he has got a great ensemble together and they've got a bunch of shows coming up tomorrow they're in Newcastle at the Wyland Brewery uh, This is, and then the big one is September 21st at Royal Albert Hall if you can get out to see him check out his website that's got all the tour dates I can't imagine it's going to be anything less than fantastic but I hope you enjoy the interview and I hope you check out the album My guest today is Matthew Halsall, whose new album, An Ever-Changing View. It will be out uh, here in, I guess, about a week or so from now, on September 8th. So, Matthew, how's it going today?
1: Uh, really good, yeah. Thank you.
0: Um, one of the first things I'd kind of love to hear more about is, it, you talked about in the description the the places you were staying when you were composing and creating this album, and it just, it, it sounded very enticing, and very interesting. And I, I'm, so I'm curious about that specifically, but also kind of more generally from that, like how place is or can be an influence on your work.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, I've, I guess when I was thinking about how to approach making a new album, I was definitely keen to have a fresh starting point. Um, So at first I was thinking maybe one location. And so I spent a lot of time looking for houses with interesting architecture and and beautiful views of nature and the sea. I love being by the sea. There's something immediately, I think Mm -hmm. my breathing and everything changes, this big open space and this calmness and the sort of sound of the waves. So so I started looking and there's a couple of sort of, Sites that I use like uh, I'm quite into the sort of Bauhaus era of kind of architecture and stuff. And there's a site called Wow House, um, mm. and uh, they also share places you can stay as well as um, kind of places that are for sale and stuff. And I, I can't really afford to buy any of the ones that are for sale, so I thought I'll stay in one instead, yeah. Um So, yeah, I found this one. It's a 1950s modernist house uh, in the northeast of England, um, and you sort of see the North Sea from from the house, basically. The the, uh, kind of living room, dining room, and sort of kitchen area. Basically, it's a detached house with windows either side and and incredible views and natural light, and uh, the, the main front wall of the house is just all basically glass. So wow. so you can just see <laughs> see lots of beautiful, beautiful yeah. things. And the, the shadows that that creates in the house are amazing as well because there's some trees near, in the oh, garden and stuff. So, so it was a magical place, really yeah. beautiful interior, lots of um, kind of wood and kind of interesting, like a floating staircase and lots of architectural features that felt great. Um, and I had a beautiful sunroom up at the top of that house as well, where you could just sit and make music and, and, uh, feel very cozy and warm. Uh, <laughs> so it was great. This yeah. was where I started making a new album and, uh, it felt like I felt just energized and excited. Uh, and then I, there was a couple of other locations. Um, and the other, Places I like to visit are on the sort of Welsh, North mm. Welsh coast. Um, so there's a place called Penmine Mar again, a house that was owned by an architect and beautifully re-imagined and a beautiful view of the sea uh, and quite high up this one. Um, mm. It was in Mine Mar on, and it was on a street called Water Street. Okay. Uh, so that's where the name for that track came because right. I wrote, wrote it there <laughs> and um yeah, I wrote quite a lot there and then also there's an island uh, in Wales the uh, Isle of Anglesey and uh, I wrote quite a few tunes there as well in two different locations one near Newburgh Beach and Forest and uh, a bit further closer to um, Hollyhead, there was a beautiful house, like a log cabin in a forest that I stayed in as well. Oh, man. So, yeah, it ended up being four locations, and (laughs) I actually wrote, like, about 40, 50 tunes or whatever. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) uh, And then picked 10 that sounded nice together.
0: Yeah, well, hearing about those locations, I mean, that's... um, It kind of gives a a fuller sense of the record, I think, and um, which kind of leads me to one of the things I, I think about it was, I think about this a lot but this album really was doing this for me like it it really kind of creates these spaces and these sort of almost new worlds to me where it feels like it feels like reality is kind of suspended for a period of time and you're kind of just it gives this space for listeners to sort of escape to and I'm curious like how you think about like sort of the transportive power of music in that way and and sound and, and like how you try to bring that to your music
1: i mean 100 uh, percent for me music can be like a magical portal yeah. uh, and when you put uh, in particular i like wearing headphones because you sort of the outside yeah. world disappears and and you just have this beautiful yeah. stereosonic world uh, you know you can zone into and I think that there's definitely instruments and scales and and kind of ways of recording things that create atmospheres and and sort of I guess like I've always been fascinated by the idea of either making music in interesting locations like I recorded Mm. and wrote a lot of the music on Fletcher Moss Park in a in the park in the Mm. botanical gardens and it gave me a real feeling of a certain kind of emotion and and, and direction with the music. And likewise with this and looking out at these, at these beautiful views that were constantly evolving and changing the sun. I write, I write a lot of music at sunrise, Hmm. sunset, late at night. And, um, you know, you get lots of different moods and atmospheres through doing that. And, um, it's, I like the peaceful points in the day uh, when when humans have gone to bed or are kind yeah. of not, not quite woken up. <laughs> yeah, but there's no traffic noise and things like that, where it's more nature sounds and stuff. So, so um, but I, I think music completely. Sometimes I like just listening to things like the ambient sounds of tropical rainforests and jungles yes. and making music i did that on the salute to the sun album like a lot of the music was written whilst listening to like two or three hours of youtube field recordings <laughs> yeah of. and i just find i find it really interesting how you can react to certain spaces and sounds
0: so. yeah know. that's you're speaking my language i love yeah. i love stuff like that and i love the way that I don't know. Sound to me has this ability, unlike many other mediums, where it can just create an entire world like in an instant. With and and this music, like I said, it really, I felt really transportive. I was, I was kind of surprised. Like I didn't know what to expect. Like I read the description of it, and then hearing it, it it just yeah, it really. I found it really affecting. So, um, one of the things you kind of mentioned this, but I'm, you talked about how like different. Um, sort of instrumentation production techniques to like creating atmospheres and using that and it was kind of mentioned I think on the description of this but like I'm curious what kind of production techniques were used on this record in particular that kind of helped create the sound of it and kind of create this world
1: well, I think I'd um, I've been obsessed with percussion for a long time um, I worked with two fantastic percussionists, uh, Jack McCarthy and Sam Bell uh, who played predominantly congas but lots of other little bits on the music when uh, mm. uh, when we were in the studio but before we got into the studio in the writing sort of demo phase I guess uh, I surrounded myself with like a percussion that I've been collecting for about five, six years um, so lots of West African stuff like kalimbas and marimbas and uh, and bears and uh, log drums and things like that, and also things like um, uh, big clumps of seeds and shakers. Mm-hmm. I got this guy in Brazil, Leo Percussion, he's called on Instagram. He I basically commissioned him to make these huge, big clumps that you can hold in your hand. Like, a, oh wow, a, these amazing seeds and, and shells and bottle tops and things like that. And they're really. They're really nice to play. They just give such a texture and an energy to the music, but a quite an organic yes. texture. And um, and then I got obsessed with more metallic and sparkly sounding things mm-hmm. like lots of chimes. I've got all sorts of different um, wind chimes and, and Tibetan chimes. And um, I got these custom-made triangles made yeah, I was, uh, was
0: going to ask about
1: those yeah <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> yeah i found this i found this guy in uh, bristol who was making all sorts of gongs and chimes and he hand hammers all these little pieces of uh, i think it's metal and stuff and mm-hmm. and um, he he made these beautiful little triangular hand hammer tuned uh, sort of things that no one had made before. Yeah. And I saw them on his Instagram, his Instagram's Toria sounds. Um he's a big fan of Alice coltrane which is nice for <laughs> kindred spirits. Um There you go. <laughs> and uh yeah, anyway, he he made like I think 5 or 6 in the past and showed a little video and and they're just <laughs> beautiful. They they like hung like a mobile piece of art. Um these triangles of different sizes and they he hit them with like a song bowl kind of stick thing and uh, um, quite a soft mallet kind of thing. And um, they rotate beautifully. And when the light's shining on them, they reflect light beautifully. It's just such a beautiful oh, wow. pl- thing to play. Yeah. Anyway, I commissioned him <laughs> to, to make 18 of them. He'd never made, he'd never been paid to make any before. And um, I was invoice number one on his. <laughs> on his on his kind of new business that he set up, so um, it was great, and and I used those a lot, and things like glockenspiels, and I really love the sound of Celeste. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I hadn't re- I, there's quite a lot of orchestral percussion that seems to not make it into any other type of music, and uh, yeah, I found this guy in Manchester that was a percussionist for the, like the bbc philharmonic orchestra and all <laughs> sorts of people and he has this huge lockup like with like it's like two free garages full of oh my production. gosh
0: oh my god and, uh,
1: and he he happened to have a five octave celeste uh which oh i god. borrowed as uh, well i paid i rented a little bit <laughs> uh and it, it was amazing so lots of things like that were yeah uh, the sort of, and uh, the way i saw the sparkly things was like when I was looking out the window, I was, I was looking at the sea and the way the sun reflected <laughs> on the water. And mm-hmm. I was thinking that the more metallic things like chimes and stuff represented that constant organic kind of free-flowing sparkle of, mm-hmm. of, of sunlight on water. And then I guess the seeds represented like shaking seeds and things represented the forests and the sort of trees and the kind of earthy yeah things um and then uh, you know the double bass definitely it has an earthy a warmth to it and a kind of energy to it that was really important and then things like the harp and the piano i tried to use more in a way that represented things like the tide and the wind and, and things like that so there was a visual and audio sort of right comp- like thing going on so,
0: yeah no I I really love that description of I I can see like light moving off the water and hear the sound like that's that's fantastic. Um uh, what you mentioned this obsession with percussive instruments like where did that when did that happen like where did that come from just
1: I think yeah <laughs> just from working with fantastic percussionists in my band for for many many years I think at least Eight years I've been working with them, and and I think percussionists, being a percussionist, is sort of a very like underrated thing because yeah. the amount of instruments that they all have, percussionists, right. like if you think of a drummer or a you know piano player or whatever, they have a piano and right. maybe maybe Fender Rhodes or whatever, but like a percussionist has literally a garage full of things right. that they take on and, and use in different uh, situations. Um, and, and I just find them amazing. They're like the yeah. most multi kind of functional kind of interesting people to work with. So I would spend ages like in this treasure trove of, of percussion in in people's houses and garages and like, where's this come from? How do I get this? What's right. this? And, um, Yeah, that's how it evolved—the curiosity—and then it and then it started to become. When I was making a new record, I was like, "This would be really good to just to start trying to make music from a different angle." Like, because when you know, I used to compose predominantly on the piano
0: Uh um,
1: because I find it a very easy, quick way of you know, you've got bass lines, low left hand main melody's right hand, then you you, know, you can use both hands to make the chords right. and things. So, But I found that after maybe 13 years of making records that my hands would automatically go to certain places on the piano and want to play certain scales <laughs> and want to yeah. play certain chords. So I, I definitely felt like I needed something Different uh, limitations, like the kalimba I used, has seventeen notes. Um, on one side, it's the white notes of the piano, on the other side, it's the black notes, and it and it's very limiting because you essentially play it with your two thumbs. Right. So, so it's a, it's it's a whole different starting point to making a record. Um, and then the log drum only has six notes, and um, <laughs> all of these restrictions sort of. What was interesting was they kind of uh created rhythmic energy and melodic melodic energy um in a different way to how i would approach the piano i wouldn't necessarily play the piano in a rhythmical way the same way like right. of the foundation so yeah it's was, it was great
0: yeah that's i i love the percussion on the record is it's like the thing that really kind of stood out to me it just adds so much life to it and um yeah it's really fantastic um can can you tell me more about uh, what this is not related to the music but the like the handmade fonts on like that were designed by ian anderson and the tapestry like that's on the cover is so that cover is so beautiful um i'd love to hear how those kind of things came into came into being
1: (laughs) yeah well i guess uh having been on a bit of a roll with commissioning the percussion to be made, uh, I decided it'd be really good fun to commission someone to make some sort of tapestry. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very much, uh, I love textiles and the textures of mm-hmm. fabrics and the organicness of kind of wool. Uh, I grew up, you know, grew, growing up near Manchester mm-hmm. and living in Manchester, it's like cotton city, basically. Um, <laughs> the history of uh and there's lots of wool like welsh wool where i was staying in wales and they have beautiful welsh fabrics and wools. and right so yeah. i, I kind of liked this idea of commissioning someone to make something quite organic lots of texture lots of playfulness mm-hmm. um and my brother's an artist and graphic designer and he did an exhibition in london and um He It was a joint exhibition with a couple of people and Sarah Kelly, the uh, textile artist, um, basically was one of the people in the exhibition and he loved what he saw of her work. And I was asking him, saying, who who do you think I can get to do some sort of Annie Albers Bauhaus tapestry (laughs) sort of thing? And he was like, well, I think this... uh, female artist Sarah Kelly is really good. You should check her Instagram out. And then I checked her Instagram and she was at that point, she just got back from West Africa where she'd been doing a project, part of the Annie Albers foundation um, in Senegal where she was working in this beautiful um, village in this, this kind of, uh, I guess you call it some sort of hut, organically made hut. She made this huge um, tapestry out of bamboo, like a bamboo frame, and um, all, all, the, all the wool and cotton and everything that she was using was, I think it was cotton, was locally sourced, and then she hand-dyed it with local dyes and everything. And she got people from the community to... to collaborate on the artwork and, and if if you check out her Instagram, Sarah Kelly um, she has this whole thing this journey that she went on and the artwork was absolutely brilliant because it, it, it was kind of like this floating like loom uh, tapestry with lots of gaps and shapes uh, right. woven into it and um, essentially was the foundations of the what I, what we, I ended up commissioning her to do was uh, to make something similar but not identical to that. Um, and I love the fact that that happened in West Africa. I was playing cymbals yeah. and right. cushion things that were West African influenced. So, so it kind of had this organic, natural cohesion between mm-hmm. what she was doing. And then, on in addition to that, I really like. I've worked with him for quite a while, the graphic designer, Ian Anderson, and he he just makes incredible custom made fonts. Um, so I asked him, could he make the fonts and do the rest of the, um, kind of text on the album cover and the layout and decide on all the kind of manufacturing of the products. Like, so, so he, he took care of that. Um, The actual photo of the tapestry was a journey as well because uh, I decided after the album title became very clear and the direction Mm. of of the campaign I thought it'd be really good fun to take this tapestry to different locations (laughs) and um, photograph it and do videos and all sorts of things so but this tap the tapestries, there's two of them, and they're huge like, uh, they're like a hundred and fifty centimeters square with oh, a, f- wow. with a wooden, <laughs> wooden frame on top of that. And, um, so wow. you have to as- assemble <laughs> them in like the car parks of these beaches and things. And, uh, <laughs> two of us would carry them to all sorts of places in sand dunes and forests, and, um, yeah, It was quite a, an experience, but we kind of got used to it and got good at it. But the so the album cover photo is, is uh in Newburgh on Newburgh Beach uh, in on the Isle of Anglesey uh, in Wales, um, which is probably my favorite place in the world to go <laughs> and relax. So, a great place to shoot the album cover, yeah.
0: Are- because I know I've I haven't seen like the actual record. I don't know if the records are done, but I've seen the picture. I, I think is it inside or back cover that shows it. It's got it in front of some like a forest or some trees. Um,
1: yeah, I is that a different of, location? They're, they're all so that Nuba Nuba has a beach and a forest, um, okay. and then it has an amazing. Uh, mountain range in the distance so so hence the track title mountains trees and seas Um, uh so um yeah so one one was taken in one of the photos in the forest the other like further into the kind of i guess closer to what so you could see more of the mountains and the other on the sand dunes um we actually took loads more than that, but they just felt cohesive and kind right. of like the right, right vibe.
0: Yeah, I, all the all the visuals and stuff with the the t-shirts with that design on it look incredible too. Um, it's yeah, it, the whole package is just it's so cohesive. Is a is the right word? The music, all of it, just feels like like I said, it feels like this self-contained world entirely of which is. Awesome. I mean, that's yeah.
1: So yeah, it's um, a lot of a lot of fun making it, and uh, all the art col- collaborating with people is something yeah. I, l- I love doing. I really,
0: yeah. yeah. And it sounds like you got. I mean, it's I love to like you were collaborating with other musicians, with instrument makers, with you know textile. Like getting to like collaborate like across disciplines. To me, it's even more. That's even more exciting because it just expands that world of the whole you know the whole process and project um what were i guess what were some what were the sort of biggest challenges you had to overcome
1: uh, <laughs> just uh, trying to think i guess um i think in, in a funny way, sometimes I think that the mixing of the album probably mm. was was one of the most epic parts of the journey. The, re- <laughs> the recording and making the music and is always really fun, right? And, and probably my happiest point. Uh, <laughs> and then mixing and editing and finalizing things is always a little bit because I, I I actually have the music. I sit on the music for quite a long time. I like to detach myself from being the artist and become a listener uh, at a certain point. Um and that and normally happens just before the mixing phase. I kind of have a big break, leave all the music, and then I come back to it and I'm like, okay, this is the record. These yeah. are the tracks and, and this is what we're gonna mix. And then then we put it all together and uh, I collaborated again with an incredible mixing engineer, um, Greg in Berlin. And, um, he is super talented. He just predominantly mixes music <laughs> five, six, seven days a week. So, oh, wow. uh, his, his ears are so tuned in. Um, and, uh, yeah, we started mixing it, It ended up taking, because I, I, I must have tried it on about, oh my God, uh trying to think how many systems, sound systems and speakers and uh, Bluetooth stereo, uh, you, you name it, car right. stereos. I, I went fully into the deepest I've ever gone with mixing and had different types of headphones. I must have had about six different sets <gasps> of headphones oh I was God. trying things on. And uh, it took about nearly a month. Of solid kind of mixing to to get it to where I was happy. Uh, I wanted stereo kind of imagery to be perfect. I wanted the ambience, the sort of reverbs and things to be really perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, EQs and and everything just took forever. Like uh, automating <laughs> individual instruments and stuff. But uh, well, it was it was worth it. And, uh, and then everything else. I mean, I guess the artwork wasn't was a pretty epic journey to to, um, to carry those tapestries, to, to commission them to then to get to the point where they were physical things that I picked up and then and then to take them to places and <laughs> photograph them and, and then try and figure it out. Yeah, so, <laughs> so It was quite a challenging journey in some ways, but I kind of feel probably the most, uh, in some ways, I feel like this is the most ambitious and playful I've been in my entire career. So it's awesome.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, to kind of close things out, this is just inspired what we were talking about near the beginning. Um, What are some of your favorite sounds in the world?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What do you mean? I guess. Did you mean nature sounds or
0: any of it? Whether like natural sounds or if there's like, uh, you know, like certain instrument sounds. I don't know. I
1: yeah i mean okay i I mean (laughs) natural sounds i think you can definitely say the sound of the sea and the waves and the tide kind of uh it is really interesting and beautiful and therapeutic it it certainly helps me with my breathing and stuff but then I, i love things like i like i guess mobile types of percussion that are not necessarily for music but like things that are hung outside, like wind chimes, Mm. natural wind chimes that just, when the wind blows, they just make these beautiful, organic, floating sounds. Uh, We have one in our back garden, and it's quite windy in Manchester, so uh, it's like this beautiful bamboo chime, and it just makes these really nice sounds. You really feel the weather and hear hear it kind of, uh, things like that, but I, I love harp, and I love I think I, I always in a funny way when I'm composing wish I played flute instead of trumpet because I love <laughs> the heights and the lightness of flute and the kind flute. of the way it floats I, I always see it a little bit like clouds or like yeah. the wind or I don't know I, I have a very clear vision of, of what a what a flute can be visually um, so yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> flute has become one of my absolute favorite instruments the last, I don't know, five, six years. Um I got yeah, I yeah. have I've been on a I've been completely obsessed with James Newton the last few years and like Yeah, you know, nice. One of the greatest. But
1: yeah, uh, I mean the, the <laughs> other thing with the flute is like percussion the is about when you dig deep into it, there's so many different types of flute. Yeah. Like the uh, you know, bansuri <laughs> flutes and nasal flutes and God, I the list is incredible. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's I, a I whole think...
0: other obsession. You could just go down a.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe the next record, I'll suddenly be a flute flautist and uh, have about a hundred different flutes.
0: Hey, uh, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, before we go, you have a you're playing at Royal Albert Hall coming up sometime. When is that in September?
1: Yeah, it's twenty first September. So okay. biggest biggest show I've ever done, actually. So uh, wow, uh, how are you well, feeling well about it? <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm feeling good, actually. Yeah. I, I've been. I I like having big shows because they like I, I get into a bit of a kind of rocky training where I go to the gym and practice <laughs> nice. harder than I've ever been practicing, <laughs> and really really psych myself up. So it's it's kind of it's energized me and focused me uh, in in the best possible way.
0: That's, that's awesome well good luck and thanks again for doing this and i'm like i said i really love the new record and i hope people check it out thank you Once again, huge thanks to Matthew Halsall for taking the time out to chat with me about an ever-changing view, which once again, it is out now links in the show notes, of course. Um, and I, I go look at the, just even like the bandcamp page or the release page. Cause you can see some of those fonts, which I'm, I'm like looking at it right now. And I just, God, I love the fonts and that tapestry, the colors and the movement and the shapes It is sometimes there's just something that. You you see it and you're like, gosh, this this feels like it was made for me. This is hitting on all the things that I connect with and I some find meaning in and all those things. And I I've really felt that about Never Changing View. And please go check him out live. Like I said, uh, September 13th in Newcastle, the 14th in Leeds, leading up to the 21st at Royal Albert Hall. And there's dates after that, other dates for that. Go check out his website and you can see that probably links to tickets and all of those things. Thank you so much for listening. You know where to find me. Shoot me a message. Join the Patreon, patreon patreon.com slash Lots of fun, extra stuff over there, and it really supports the cause and keeps it going. Until next time, I hope everybody has a good one.